0: We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today.
1: I am excited this morning because we are in week two of our series called Reset where we are looking at what it means to have a a reset in life, how we can do that in Christ Jesus, having that fresh start, having that clean slate. And uh, we do that by being refreshed in Christ, in what he's done for us, being refueled by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, and being refocused on the race to which Christ has called us. And last week we saw um, how believers in Jesus can be Refreshed in Him, how we are made new through salvation and re, um, refreshed through confessing our sin and abiding in Christ, and how through confession we are actually delivered from our sin. And this week we are going to look at what it means to be refueled by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. This idea of being refueled, right? So, about three years ago, my wife and I took our family and we, we went and spent a few days in Colorado. We were me- leading a missioncation up there to a sister church we were serving. And so um, we went a few days before and just kind of hung out as a family. And it was, it was really great. I don't like going to the beach where it's 1,000 degrees. I like going where it's nice and cool. And so we're up there in Colorado. We're up near the Breckenridge area. And what they don't tell you when they send you a flyer about coming to Colorado is... Uh, you can't breathe up there. There's no oxygen that lives up there in the mountain. And so when you get up there, just walking to your car, it feels like you were just chased by a puma, right? You're just out of breath. And so my wife got this great idea that we were going to go um, hiking. We are going to go on this trail and go hiking to this mountain lake. Now, if you look at me and you go, he doesn't look like a hiker, you have assessed correctly. And so we... we <laughs> We get the thing, the map says, hey, it's a mile and a half. Okay, that's not that far. So in our mind, we're thinking, you know, 30 minutes, we're going to go see this great lake, 30 minutes back, we'll be in the car, we're going to invest a total of an hour and a half and get to walk to a mountain lake. Um, that was wrong. And so what we did was we started on the trail, and to say we were unprepared would be an understatement. We're in open-toed shoes, we've got like one bottle of water for the whole family, and um, you know, we're just wandering down this trail and I start to notice after about 30 minutes on the trail that we may be in some trouble because there are other people on the trail and here's what they look like. They got hiking boots on, not a flip-flop out there, hiking boots, right? Uh, They got backpacks with those little straws that come out of the backpack and like loop around your head and keep you hydrated the whole time. They got walking sticks and I'm like, we don't look like that. And so... We're just wandering down this trail, and we're burning out. Before we get to the lake, we got no water left, right? We're we're exhausted. We get to the lake, and listen, it's beautiful, but we really can't enjoy it. And the reason I can't enjoy it is because I know I got to walk back to the van, right? I'm only halfway. I got to turn around and go back. So we start back now. We are as dry as a matchstick. We're wore out. We're tired. We're hungry. We have no food, no snacks. We're out there. And my wife, who was wearing open-toed sandals, was getting tired. And so, you know, when you get tired, your your feet drag instead of having some pep in your step. And she kicks a tree root on the trail and pops the end of her toe open. Now, yeah, that sound you just made, that's the sound I made when I saw it. And... um, (laughs) you know, you ever hit something so hard, the blood leaves your face and you're sweating and you're just like, oh man, I got to sit down. Well, that's what was happening. So she immediately started bleeding out through her toe. And if you know me, you know that I get woozy when I see someone else's insides become their outsides. And when I saw that blood, I was like, oh man, oh, we all better sit down for a minute. And so this, this trek back to the van is taking longer and longer and longer because we're having to sit every few minutes. We have no energy. And finally, we sit down. Her toe just looks jacked up, and I don't want to look at it, and, and we're just wore out. And then there's this sweet lady who's coming on the trail, right? And she's coming back. She's probably done sprinted around this mountain, and she's coming back, and she stops and looks at us because we're a bit of a sight at this point. And she says, are y'all okay? Well, we were in Colorado. She didn't say y'all. She said, are you guys okay? Right? And I was like, Mm-mm. nope, we're not doing good at all. We got all kinds of problems. And she took her backpack off, had a big pouch of water. She gave that to us. And she had these little tabs, these little like Gatorade tabs. Have y'all seen these things? You like set them in your mouth and they dissolve. We ate all that, right? (laughs) I was rummaging through her backpack looking for Skittles and peanuts and whatnot. And um, so (laughs) she gave us her provisions and gave me a bandage to put on Carrie's foot. And we did that. And then we got back to the van. Now, none of us were happy. But here's what I would tell you. We had been refueled. She came along right when we needed her too. Otherwise, I was about to pitch a tent because we were going to be there a while. And she gave us water and, and some food and took care of the wound. We were refueled, right? And listen, that is what the Holy Spirit does in us. The Holy Spirit is, is the one who is refueling us, and he is doing that by reminding us of the good work that Christ has done for us and then who we are in Christ because of that good work. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He illuminates God's Word so we can see what Christ has done and identify with that to know who we are. That is how the Holy Spirit moves. So I want you to grab your Bible. Go to Romans uh, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning, Many theologians and teachers and scholars regard Romans chapter 8 as the greatest chapter in the Bible. I think it is, I don't think there's a chapter in the Bible that breathes more life and gives more hope than this. It starts with, There is no condemnation, and it ends with, There is no separation. I I love that. I love that Romans chapter 8. John Piper says, The greatest book in the world is the Bible, and the greatest. Book in that book is Romans. And the greatest chapter in that book is Romans chapter 8. And the greatest verse in that chapter is Romans chapter 1. And it says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a life-breathing verse for the believer. It is one of the most important verses in all the Bible. Why? Because what we see in Romans 8, especially there in verse 1, is God's Word teaching us how we should see ourselves through the gospel. Meaning, as people who have received this life-altering, life-changing good news of Jesus Christ, how do I now view myself and live in the light of that gospel? Now, why is that important? Why is it important that I allow the gospel to shape how I see myself? I think because too often we live in one of two traps. Pastor J.D. Greer calls it the performance trap or the pretending trap. And we often live in one of those two traps. The performance trap is this. See if this sounds familiar. We say, if I do well, God will love me more. Right? If I perform and am obedient, he will bless me more. If I don't do well, he's going to punish me or let bad things happen to me. So that every time something difficult happens to us, we think, well, what did I do? Why is God allowing this to happen? Is he angry with me? And we believe somehow that my good behavior and my performance leads to God's favor. That's the performance trap. I think many of us are in that trap. There's another one called the pretending trap, and here's that. It's trying to create the perfect image, right? To look the part, showing up at church, everything is perfect, there's no problem, there's no issues, the kids are amazing, we're too blessed to be stressed, right? But listen, I know that's not true, because some of you got into a fight on the way to church today, this morning, you, you got into an argument. But what happened when you pulled in the parking lot? You got out, you shut the door, kids got in line, and everybody looked, looked apart right the pretending trap is always trying to maintain this outward image while keeping our sinful impulses and our true dysfunction under control here's the beauty of romans 8 here is what i'm praying happens for us this morning romans 8 liberates us from these two traps it teaches us to see ourselves as followers of Jesus who have been justified through the free gift of salvation, so there's no need to perform, because I am, it's, I'm, I am saved through the free gift of Jesus Christ, so I don't have to perform, and who are being sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit, so there is no need to pretend, and that is what I hope we find this morning. So, We're in Romans chapter 8. I'm actually going to back up a few verses and I'm going to start in Romans chapter 7, verse 22. It says this. Paul is writing, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law that is waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Death, But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, if you are in Christ, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit and if in fact the spirit of god dwells in you anyone who does not ha- if in fact the spirit of god dwells in you anyone who does not have the spirit of christ does not belong to him but if christ is in you although the body is dead because of sin the spirit is life because of righteousness and if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you then he who raised christ jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen. Lord, there is so much truth here that I am confessing, Lord, that we need your wisdom. God, I am praying that the life that lives in these verses would, would, would come out, Lord, that you would illuminate it for us and that we would see ourselves through the lens of the gospel as people who are not Condemned, God. Would you just give us life through Your Word in Jesus' name, Amen. So the reason that I backed up and I started in verse twenty-two of chapter seven is because of this little word in verse eight, uh, which is the, or excuse me, in chapter eight, verse one, which is this. Therefore, right. That's a turning point word. It's it's it indicates a result of something or or a consequence, right? It implies that what's about to come next is the result of what came before. So when we see therefore, we know we need to back up and see what comes before it. And here's what we see in verse 22 and 23 and 24 of Romans 7. We see Paul confessing this very personal inner struggle with his own mind and his own body. He is telling the church of this contradiction that lives in him. And I want you to see if this sounds familiar. He says this, Paul says, in my inner being, I love and delight in the law of God. But in my flesh, my members, there's another law. It's the law of sin, and it is waging war against the law of God and taking me captive. He says, I love the Lord, but the struggle with sin is very real, and it is very powerful. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's saying, who's going to deliver me from this inner struggle? Who's going to come and settle this issue of these two two dual things that are waging war in my life? And then he answers in verse 25, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer. That's the rescue, right? But when Paul says thanks be to God... It isn't to declare that the war with sin is over. He isn't saying, okay, thanks be to God, I'm never going to struggle with sin. He's saying, thanks be to God, because even though I still war with sin, because Jesus Christ is the victor, I do so as a victor who will surely win. Right? It isn't to say the war with sin is over. What Paul is saying is, I'm still warring I'm still, I'm still battling. I'm still waging war. This, these. But because Jesus, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Why? Because in him, the victory is won. And so as I am in him, I get to fight this war from a place of victory. I think what we see Paul wrestling with is this guilt, uh, this feeling, um, this guilty feeling he has from having come to faith in Jesus but still battling sins that he believes he should have victory over. Anybody identify with that? I love the Lord, but I am battling sins that in my heart, I know I should have victory over. I, th- I think that's what Paul's dealing with here, and what he is needing is the same thing that we are needing. He is needing to be reminded of who we are in Christ, and, and I think we see two unbelievably um, powerful truths to life-giving truths here in Romans chapter 8 that are going to help us see ourselves through the lens of the gospel and remember who we are in Christ. Here's the first one. It's the first life-giving truth. You are free from the penalty of sin because you are in Christ. Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 1 again. There is therefore now what? Seriously? Seriously? There is therefore now what? Thank you. For those who are where? In Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We said earlier, Romans 8.1 is one of the most important verses in the Bible because it gives us the framework by which we build a gospel-centered vision of ourselves. So what is Paul teaching himself and, and the church at Rome and us? How is he teaching us to see ourselves? And it is this, as free from condemnation, free from the penalty of sin. That's the view. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus. But for us to gain that vision, we got to understand two things. First is what is condemnation? And two is what does it mean to be in Christ? What is condemnation and what does it mean to be in Christ? So what does Paul mean when he uses the word condemnation? This is a legal term, right? Simply defined, it means a, a sentence or a judgment. There is a judgment that is due for sin. Paul understood this. He talked about it earlier in the letter. Romans 3, 23 and 6, 23. He says, the wages of sin and death. And all of us owe that wage because all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. And because we all sin, we all owe the penalty for sin, which is death and eternal separation from God. So when Paul talks about condemnation... We understand he means being found guilty of sin and being bound to the penalty of that sin. That's what condemnation means. But here he says, there's none of that. He says, there is no condemnation. Well, how can that be? How can I be guilty of sin and be bound to the penalty of that sin and yet not be condemned? How can that be true? The answer, I think, is in verse 3 and 4. He says, By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Here it is God, through Jesus, has condemned sin in the flesh. Listen, my sin, his flesh. That's how you and I stand uncondemned of sin that we are guilty of. When I say you are free from the penalty of sin, it is because that sin has been judged in the flesh of Jesus. So when God's word says he condemned sin in the flesh, you have to read, he condemned my sin in his flesh. That that is why we have to understand what it means to be in christ so if it was the flesh of christ the body of christ the sacrifice of christ that has paid the penalty for my sin what does it mean to be in christ i think to be in christ means this to be spiritually united to and identified with christ How are we united to Christ? We are united to Christ in salvation, meaning being born again, meaning I've recognized my sin and need for a Savior and have trusted in Jesus as the Lord of my life. I have been united to Him. Now, so we we are in Christ by being spiritually united to and identified with So how am I identified with Christ? I am identified with Christ through a word called justification. It's a big church word. Justification, which means that in Christ, I am justified. Justice has been done. The penalty for my sin, which we know is death, that penalty has been dealt with through the cross of Christ, and I stand before God justified. There's this little... Uh, New Testament letter called Jude. And at the end of the book uh, of Jude, it's a one-page letter. And at the very end of it, the author of Jude is writing, and he is saying, um, now to him who is able to keep you from falling, speaking of Jesus, and to present you before the throne of God, faultless and without blame, to him be glory forever. Now think about that. It is to say that in Christ... I am presented before the throne of God faultless and without blame. That's what it means to be justified. Think of it in terms of scales, right? It means that the scales that once tipped away from me because of the debt I owed now tip in my favor because of the debt Christ has paid. That's what it means to be in Christ united to him in salvation, and identified with him in justification. Justice is done on my part because of Jesus. So believer, listen, your union to Christ through salvation has pronounced a verdict for you, and that verdict is not guilty. That's the verdict that is pronounced for you. There is therefore now no condemnation, not one. God cannot condemn you for a sin that has already been forgiven. If we ever walked in the glory of that truth, it would set us free. Amen. Because too often we walk in a condemnation on ourselves because of sin, right? We fall and then we settle in. Under a guilt and a shame that Jesus paid the price for and through him has been removed. But what we do is we pick it up and we, we lay it back on top of ourselves and we try to live this life managing this guilt and shame and just white knuckling, hoping we can get over this sin. But I am telling you, if you are in. Christ, If you have been united to him in salvation and and, and identified with him through justification, if you are in Christ, you are free from the penalty of sin. So what does that mean? It means that in Christ, the record of your debt is canceled. (laughs) It means that in Christ, you are cleared of guilt. It means that in Christ you are delivered from the bondage of the law of sin. It means that in Christ you are liberated from the shackles of the old man because your Savior's blood has purchased your full discharge and you are free. In Christ you are free from the penalty of sin. That's the first glorious truth. We are free from the penalty. Here's a second. You are now being freed from the power of sin because of the Holy Spirit. You are now being freed from the power of sin because of the Holy Spirit. Again, back in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free In Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. See, the law could not save me because my flesh could not keep the law. It was too weak. So God did uh, for me what the law could not do by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that that righteous requirement of the law, which I could never Provide on my own, might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to this fallen flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now see, that first truth, that was about being justified, recognizing the justice that has been provided for us before the throne of God. We are justified, but this truth is about being sanctified. It is about being sanctified. And that is the ongoing work of being freed from the power of sin. And Paul teaches us that is a work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Only the Holy Spirit can free you from the power of sin. That's the process of being sanctified. Justification and sanctification. It's it's the other side of the gospel coin. And the two cannot be separated. And listen... These are two of the most beautiful words in all of the Christian language. (laughs) Two of the most beautiful words in all of the Christian language. Justification and sanctification. You say, well, pastor, why does it matter if I know what those mean? Because the glory of your salvation is found in these words. Because in these words, we see how we are saved and how we are being saved. How we are new and how we are being made new. How we are free from the penalty of sin and how we are being freed from the power of sin. One is the seed, the other is the flower. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Justification, which is, which is salvation, always leads to sanctification. It always leads to sanctification, meaning that the first step to overcoming sin in my life, which by the way, the process of overcoming sin, that's what we mean by sanctification. We are being sanctified. We are being refined. We are being cleaned. We are being grown. We are growing as disciples. That's the process of sanctification. It is defeating sin. The process for overcoming sin in my life, the first step is being born again. And unless you are justified, born again in Christ, you cannot be sanctified through Christ. Justification always leads to sanctification. Here's where you and I get it twisted. Sanctification never leads to justification. Ever. What do you mean by that? I mean this. Your best effort to overcome your sin on your own will never lead to your salvation. Never. I am telling you this morning, some of you in this room are laboring and you are exhausted from the labor of trying harder, trying harder, doing better. This is the time. God's going to be happy with me. This is going to lead to the relationship with God. If I can just get myself right, the number of times I hear that nonsense line, If I can just get myself right. (laughs) Paul, Paul in in chapter 7, confessed, I can't get myself right. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body that's trying to fix itself? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can't get yourself right. That's the work of of sanctification. You, You must first be born again. Defeating sin is an evidence of salvation. In other words, forgiveness of sin positions me to defeat that sin. Said a different way, you cannot defeat a sin you have not experienced forgiveness for. You you can't defeat a sin you have not experienced forgiveness for. That is why we must be justified, freed from the penalty of sin. So that we might be sanctified, being freed from the power of that sin in my life. But too often we try to live a good life, right? And do these good deeds and avoid bad deeds, believing, even if we don't say it out loud, believing that these things are going to lead to God loving me more. That's the performance trap. But listen, church, it is being in Christ That sets God's love for you, not your performance, not your perfection, and not your good works. I read a quote from a pastor named Rankin Wilborn this week, and listen to what he said. I I wanted it on the screen because I wanted you to be able to see it. He said this, God doesn't love you to the degree that you are like Christ. He loves you to the degree that you are in Christ. And that is 100%. That is a glorious statement this morning. It's liberating, right? Because we believe the lie that says, in order to attain the love of God, i got to be more like Jesus. Why? Because so many relationships in our life are built on our performance. Some of you right now are walking in a lifetime of feeling like the only way you experienced love from your father is if you performed well, as if you obeyed perfectly. That was the only way you felt affirmed and loved. And you've carried that into a relationship with your heavenly Father. And you've believed the lie that says, God will love me more if I'm more like Jesus. And God is saying, Nope, I love you because you are in Jesus, because you've made him the Lord of your life. You have all of my love, all of my unmerited favor. All of my steadfast love is yours. Not because you are like him, but because you are in him. And being in him, you will become more like him. But the hinge that God's love swings on is not being like Jesus. It is being in Jesus. That's a liberating truth. So because we are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And he does this work of sanctifying me, of setting me free from the power of sin. So how can I be sanctified? It says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because the law of the Spirit of life, that's the Holy Spirit, that's the, 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 that's the Spirit, uh, that's his law, that's his work, that law has set me free in Christ Jesus so that right now there is no condemnation in this present moment. And in every moment for the rest of your life that you will call now. So five minutes from now, when it's another now, in that moment, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning if you are in Christ, you get to navigate from this day until the last day, walking without condemnation. Because right now, there is none. I am being freed from the power of sin that once reigned over me and I fight that battle from a place of victory because I do not stand condemned. release from the power of sin is it's the necessary complement to forgiveness. What do I mean it 's the next step if you are forgiven then You are changed. You will be changed. You are being changed. If you are in Christ, his death releases you from the penalty of sin and his resurrection through the Holy Spirit starts to release you from the power of sin. So that little by little... The warfare is waged against sin, against the remaining corruption in you, against that indwelling sin and that old man that you must reckon dead and put to death. And little by little, the war is won, which means this, sometimes you're going to win and sometimes you're going to fail. And the next day you may win and win again and then fail. And then the next day you may win and win and win again and then fail. But you battle that, you wage that war, not from somebody trying to win, but from somebody who's already won because you are not condemned. Amen. Sin loses its power when it loses its ability to condemn you. Romans 8 is beautiful. It is beautiful. So, if I am freed from sin, the penalty of sin, because I'm in Christ, which means I am saved and I am justified in him. And I am being freed from the power of sin, meaning I'm being sanctified, I'm being made new, I'm being refined, I am putting to death the old man, I'm letting that new creation take. If, if I'm in that, I think there's two things that we have to hold on to as we walk through this. Here's the first one. Just, just two final thoughts. The Christian life is not about working harder, it is about walking closer. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Christian life is not about working harder, it is about walking closer. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free, is setting me free in Christ. Christ, which means that victory over sin is bound up in my intimacy and my walk with jesus i can look back on my life and map the intimacy of my relationship with the lord god and with with jesus christ and as that relationship is where it should be and it is strong and i am walking with him the victory over sin is strong But as that relationship wanes, as I'm not spending time with him, as my intimacy with God wanes, do you know what begins to happen? The victory over sin begins to come up. All all of a sudden, that sin gets harder to defeat. That temptation gets harder to defeat. My eyes get harder to control. My mouth gets harder to control. My thoughts get harder to control. Why? Because the further I am from God, the more I'm having to do that in my own power. It isn't about working harder. It is about walking closer. It's the first thing. Here's the last thing. If you have been set free from the penalty and are being set free from the power of sin, then let me just encourage you with this don't quit. Don't quit. Look at the last two verses of Romans chapter 8. It says this. But if in Christ, but if Christ is in you, verse 10. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. There is a process And a progress of sanctification that will culminate in the glorification of this mortal body. Philippians 1, Paul says this He who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion. So, this morning, here's my question it says two questions. One Are you free from the penalty of sin? Have you been justified? Have you been born again? Have you put your faith in the work of Christ? Has he tipped those scales in your favor? If you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I'm telling you, you can't win the battle over sin until you take that step, and you can do that today. We're going to worship in a minute. We're going to stand, and some of our men are going to be down here, and our wives will be with us. I want you to come take us by the hand, and we will do that together. If If you have done that, And my question is this, are you walking free from the power of sin? Are you walking free from the power of sin? Or would your confession be that there are some sins who have set such a foothold in my life and a stronghold in my life that I do not have victory over them? I'm experiencing more defeat than I am victory, and I need to remember who I am in Christ and what he has done for me and that there is no condemnation. That's all right, too. You can do that right there. You can come. You can get on your knee here at the altar. You can turn around and kneel right at your seat, and you can just put that before the Lord that said, God, I am thankful that I don't walk under the penalty of sin, but I need to reengage with the power of the Holy Spirit to defeat these sins in my life. Whatever you need to do, I'm just asking you to do. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of your word and, and just for the beauty of the gospel that sets us free and makes us new. And Lord, I pray right now as we worship that you would move in this place. These moments belong to you. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship.
0: I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.